Good morning, Mission View Church. Our God is greater and stronger, and it's a privilege that we serve such a great God. Great to see you this morning. If you have your Bible apps or your Bibles, go with me to Ephesians chapter 6. Ephesians, the sixth chapter, as we today conclude our look at the book of Ephesians. And uh, it's been a great journey, so we hope you've enjoyed it with us. If you've missed any of it, I want to remind you it's all available online at missionviewchurch.org. Uh, but today we, f- we conclude our, our look at the book of Ephesians. For Christmas, my parents got me a grill. And they, they got me a gas grill for Christmas. And so my mom's cousin was going to come over and help me install a gas line at our house that would run outside to the deck to hook up to the gas grill. And he'd worked in the, in the ga- for the gas company for a number of years, and he was very competent, and I, as it is with any um, well, really any physical labor and in, incompetent. In, in and so he, he gave me a list of things to do. Step one on the list was open the box. Step two on the list was take out the manual. Step three on the list was read the manual. I mean, this is how detailed of instructions he gave me for what we were going to install together on one Saturday afternoon. And so then he sent me with a list of, a list of things I needed to go to Lowe's and to buy in order to take our existing gas line and create a new connection which would run outside. And so I went to Lowe's and I bought all of the items that we needed and we turned the gas to the house off and then we cut through the, well, we, we cut through the one line, and we, we made a new exit port for the gas line. We drilled through the siding of the house. We got the disconnect from the grill so that you could pull the grill a little bit away from the house. We went through all of the steps that we needed to do. We spent four hours installing this, installing this little uh, gas line that now goes out to our deck, and I then, after we'd installed the gas line, went out into my garage to begin assembling the grill that my parents had bought me for Christmas. And step one was opening the box that I was supposed to open. And step two was taking out the manual. And step three was to begin the assembly. And as I did, I looked at the box, and it said, you have a Weber Genesis 310 LP gas grill. I didn't think anything of it. I'm like, perfect. Everything's exactly as it should be. And as I began to put the base together, there was a hole for the propane tank, and I thought to myself, oh, something's wrong here. And so I called the fine people at Weber, and I informed them that somehow we'd gotten the wrong grill, and they said, well, check your, check your, your order. And so I, I called my dad, who'd bought me the gas grill for Christmas, and upon checking his order, we found out, indeed, he did buy me a gas grill for Christmas. It just happened to be a liquid propane gas grill, and so we didn't need to spend the $100 or four hours drilling through the siding of our house to run a gas line to our deck, where now my new propane grill sits. But whoever we sell the house to will appreciate the fact that they can go either way for their grilling needs. (laughs) He told me to be prepared. He told me, step one, open the box. Step two, pull out the manual. Step three, read the manual. And had I done any of those steps, we wouldn't have run the gas line. Because we would have figured out it's a propane grill. And you don't need a gas line when you're dealing with a propane grill. But I didn't do any of that. 
And so as I get off the phone with my dad, after I got off the phone with customer service, all I could think about was Lion King. And it just was running through my head as Scar saying, be prepared. And it was like a bad dream. I just couldn't get it out of my head. And it's like the torture of childhood. Everywhere I turned, I was seeing little lions and they were just all taunting me. And it was a terrible afternoon, all because I wasn't prepared, all because I didn't do the due diligence that I needed to do for the project at hand. And this morning as we look at Ephesians 6 and as the Apostle Paul wraps up his book to the church in Ephesus, what we see is that the Apostle Paul, as he ends his book, lets them know you need to be prepared. Because whether you realize it or not, you are involved and engaged in a very real battle. You're involved and engaged in a war. It's a war we don't always see, but it's a war we're constantly fighting. It's a spiritual war between the children of God and the forces of this world. And because the battle is frequently unseen, we frequently don't think about it. But make no mistake, the war is real. The battle is ongoing. And this morning in Ephesians 6, we're going to start in verse 10. And there we, we find this. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of His might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of His might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. And here we're told what it is that we need to do. We need to be strong. As, as in any battle, you want your warriors, you want your soldiers who are going into battle to be equipped, you want them to be strong. But this is what's so incredible, is our strength is not derived from ourselves. Our strength is not derived from, from us. Our strength for the battle that we are waging, for the battle that is upon us, our strength is to come from outside of us. Our strength is to be rooted in God. And see, here's the beauty. God's already won the war. It's over. See, the war was over a couple thousand years ago when God sent his son Jesus because he loves us so much that in spite of the fact that we rebelled against him, he sent his son to, to come and God made him who had no sin, Jesus, to be sin for us so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. So what that looks like is God sends his son Jesus to this world. He lives a perfect life. He's fully God and he's fully man. And he fulfills a debt. He fulfills an obligation that we could not. In his perfection, he lays down his life because the cost of our imperfection, the cost of our sin is death. And Jesus pays that price. And he dies on a cross. But that's not where the story ends. Because three days later, Christ rose from the dead, proving that he triumphed over hell, death, and the grave. He triumphed over sin. That is the victory. Jesus is alive. And that is the, the war is won. The war is over. But the battle rages on. But our strength is to be found in that same strength that overcame. That same strength that defeated hell, death, and the grave. The strength of God. That is the source of our strength. Never miss that. It's not on ourselves. Our strength is to come from God. 
And then we're told, put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. So our strength is to come from God. And here's our victory plan. Here's our victory plan. Not to go conquer. Not to charge. Our victory plan is to stand. To stand our ground. God isn't calling us to go on the offensive. He's calling us just to stand our ground. In his strength that we stand. For we do not wrestle, verse 12 says, against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. See, the war that we're engaged in is a spiritual battle. And because there's so many things that happen in the spiritual realm that we cannot see, we naturally let our guards down because we feel safe, because we feel secure. But the battle is there, and it's real. And it's not against humanity. Frequently we think it is. Frequently we think the, the battle is against humanity. It's against those who, who are wicked, against those who, who are far from God. But that's not what Scripture tells us. What Scripture tells us is the battle is against forces that we do not see, against cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Therefore, Take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day and having done all to stand firm. And so once again, it is reiterated what our mission is and our mission is to stand our ground. Stand your ground. That's what we've been called to do. In the strength of God, in this battle we are in against forces we do not see, we are called to stand. That's our mission. Now that we have the objective of our mission, we're going to be given some practical tools that will enable our success. Now, as the armor of God is introduced, all of this armor is based on what a Roman soldier would wear. Roman soldiers at the time were prevalent, and so all of this armor is based upon, upon their outfits, upon that which they would wear as they went into battle. And here is the armor of God. Stand therefore having fastened on the belt of truth and having put on the breastplate of righteousness. Stand, therefore, having fastened on the belt of truth and having put on the breastplate of righteousness. The belt of truth. The belt under, under the armor that a Roman soldier would wear was a basic tunic. It was, it was light. It would, it would have some space to, to move about. In hand-to-hand -hand combat, however, it was a liability because it was easy to snag. It was easy to grab a hold of your, a hold of your opponent. It was easy to, to take them over. And so they wore a belt 
which would secure the tunic so that it would become skin tight. And all of a sudden, it wouldn't be loose. It wouldn't be easy, an easy advantage to grab hold of. And so the belt would literally make everything tighter. It's no, it's no accident that the Apostle Paul here, as he's discussing the armor of God, likens the belt to that of truth. Because truth holds everything together. And the, ad, the idea here that the Apostle Paul introduces in the armor of God is not just statements of truth, but it is an attitude of total truthfulness. An attitude of total truthfulness. Now, here's what I've observed in my life. It's really interesting because little kids, they get it. I mean, as long as they're not doing something they want to do and you've told them not to do, they understand total truthfulness to a point it's a detriment sometimes. They're just, I mean, they don't care who's around them. They do not understand, hey, sometimes you should keep it down when you're remarking on the person right in front of you or right behind you at the grocery store. They're just going to, whatever pops in their mind, total truthfulness. And I hope and I pray that God allows me to live to see the day where I become the other extreme, and that's elderly, and my filter's gone, and I know my filter's gone, and I've just reached the point where I don't care anymore because I've reached that point in my life where I'm allowed to comment on everything. I pray that God allows me to live and see that day. I took my grandmother to an Indians game a few years ago. We're walking from where we parked to the Indians game. We're probably five feet behind a group of gentlemen, all of who had their pants too low for her liking. To which she said to me, can you believe how they're wearing their pants? And I'm just like, I mean, they are like five feet in front of us. And it's not a whisper. It is a proclamation for all of Cuyahoga County to hear that she, Nanny, does not like the way they are drooping their pants in front of us. I mean, why even bother putting on pants? Uh, They turn around and I'm just like looking like, She's like, you guys are wearing belts. Why don't you use them? I'm thinking we're going to get killed. <laughs> My grandmother is about to get me mugged and shot. My mom prophesied that I would always be beaten up as a child. She always said, Brian, your mouth's going to get you in a lot of trouble. Your day's coming. Somebody's just going to beat the snot out of you, Brian. And when they do, I'm not going to feel bad for you. What my mom didn't realize is I always made bigger friends. So yeah, my mouth did run. But all of a sudden, when somebody got mad, I just let the bigger friends step in and they'd take care of the problem. So there was no physical altercations. I don't have any bigger friends around. It's just me and Nanny. And she's just running her mouth about the way their pants are drooped. Total attitude of truthfulness, and she's just reached the point where she just doesn't care. And I pray that God lets me get to that day one day where I still have all my physical or all my mental capacities, and I just reach the point where, yeah, I've lived my life. I don't care. Your pants look ridiculous. Pull them up and tighten the belt. Now, now I'm not sure we should approach it like Nanny. <laughs> What the Apostle Paul here is talking about is a total attitude of truthfulness. Ephesians 4.15 reminds us to speak the truth in love. Speak the truth in love. You want to stand in this battle that we're waging against? Speak the truth in love. Personally, I do a really good job of the truth part. Sometimes I struggle on the love part. What I've noticed is that there are some of us who are just wired by God to not have any feelings whatsoever. 
and that's kind of how God wired me. Uh, there's just an absence of feelings. And then God's wired other people, like my wife, who he's just given an abundance of feelings, and that's why God has allowed us to live together, to love one another deeply and to drive one another absolutely crazy. As I tell her all the time, you need to be more, more vocal, more upfront, more honest. And she tells me, you need to learn how to have feelings. And I'm just like, I don't know what that means. Like, I can tell you how you can become more truthful. I don't know how to develop feelings. Um, so I'm working on it, all right? I'm working on it. It's a journey. But what I've noticed is that people like me, we really struggle on the love aspect, because we just look at people and we're just like, well, you want to know why your life's falling apart. It's because you keep making stupid decisions. That's why your life's falling apart. Whereas if you come to my wife, she's in the back of her mind thinking you keep making stupid decisions. But she's saying, I know what you mean. Life's incredibly difficult. Let's talk about it. Let's just discuss how we feel about those times that life is so trying. And, and it's just, it's a difficult journey. And I'm like, let's save the hour and a half in the box of Kleenex, and let's just tell them they're doing stupid things, and when they quit doing stupid things, their life will go better. There's a balance, okay? So if you're inclined like me, you need to temper that with feelings. And if you're like my wife, you need to be a little more vocal with the truth. We need to find that balance. And that's part of why we've got this body, that's part of why we function as community, because we need one another. Because if everybody was wired like me, oh, it'd be a lot of fun, but everybody would hate us. They would hate us. I mean, we'd have a lot of fun along the way, but people would hate us. And if everybody is wired like my wife, then nobody's life ever, ever gets fixed. You just sit around and cry for one another, and you all feel better about it when you leave, but you just go out and do the same stupid things you were doing before you came in. So we've got to have the balance, and that's why we're part of a community. Speak the truth in love. A total attitude of truthfulness and a total attitude of love and concern. Balance. It's not enough just to have truth. And it's not enough just to have love. We need truth and love. And we need that balance. The breastplate of righteousness. Now this covered the heart and all the vital organs. And it's no accident that here he links the breastplate which covered the heart and all the vital organs to righteousness. Proverbs 4, and next week we're launching into a, into a look at, the, at some of the Proverbs. And I'm excited about that. But Proverbs 4.23 says this, Guard your heart, for it's the wellspring of your life. Guard your heart for it's the wellspring of your life. And I know for some of us, it gets incredibly difficult as we walk through life. And I know that, that very few, if anybody's ever set out and said, um, I love God, but I really want to really mess up my relationship with God. I love God, but I really want to make my life more difficult. I don't think any of us set out that way. But what happens is all of a sudden we don't guard our hearts. And we allow... We allow the, the things that we know are apart from God's character, and we allow the things that we know are far from that which God delights in, and they look so enticing. And let's just be honest, sin is fun at first, or else none of us would do it. And all of a sudden, we allow it to get a foothold. 
Guard your heart. Guard your heart and what you desire to do with your life. Guard your heart and who your friends are and what you, what you share with them. Guard your heart as you deal with your spouse. Guard your heart as you date somebody who could develop into your spouse. Guard your heart as you, as you work to, to just continue to move up the corporate ladder. Guard your heart, for it is the wellspring of your life, the breastplate of righteousness and the belt of truth. We need a total attitude of truthfulness, and we need to guard our hearts. Guard your heart. And as shoes for your feet, having put on the readiness given by the gospel of peace. Shoes with readiness for the gospel. Always be ready to share what Christ has done in your life. Always be ready to share what Christ has done in your life. We, we've, treated, we've treated evangelism throughout the years as, as though it's a weird process. I mean, things have, things have worked historically, and praise God for them. And I'm not saying they can't work today, but, but for some people, the thought of just ringing doorbells and, and sharing with people the hope that we have as opposed to the plight that they're in, it, it's not appealing. And, and you can count me as one of those people. I, I, I'm not going to go up to somebody's door and just ring their doorbell out of the blue and be like, well, if you were to die, today. Do you know where you're going? Like, and if that's you, praise God that God's wired you that way. It's not me. It doesn't mean that I don't love people. It doesn't mean that I don't want to see people uh, be followers of Jesus. I'm not going to give somebody a fake money tip at a restaurant instead of a real tip and be like, this fake money is even more valuable because this is the hope of eternal life. Because I've seen what waiters and waitresses do to that. And if you're going to leave something after, after a meal, that's fine and that's great, but make sure it's accompanied by a big tip. Otherwise, you're just hurting us more than helping the cause. And and so that's just not my style, and that's okay, and it's okay if it's your style. But here's what we've all been called to do, and even if you're not an extrovert, even if you're more of an introverted person, even if the thought of sharing Christ with people freaks you out, here's what we've been called to do. Always be ready to give, a ho- to give an account for the hope that we have. That's what First Peter 3.15 tells us. Always be ready to give an answer for the hope that we have. That's it. That's how easy evangelism is. In our lives, we ought to be living differently, and if we're standing against the attacks of the enemy, there will be a noticeable difference in our lives that people will notice, and when they ask us about it, there's the answer. Let me tell you my story. Let me tell you what Jesus has done for me. You don't have to worry about knowing all these, all these theological words. You don't have to have to just continually be arguing every belief that they have. That's not what God's called all of us to do. What God has called all of us to do is to be ready to give an answer for the hope that we have. Be ready. Be ready with the gospel. Be ready with your story. In all circumstances, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming darts of the evil one. Take up the shield of faith which you, with which you can extinguish all the flaming darts of the evil one. You're being fired upon. 
You know what your protection is? Your faith. Your faith. Embrace the peace in your life that comes from an intimate relationship with the God who made you. Embrace the peace that only that can deliver. When the test comes back and the doctor says, there's nothing we can do, what other hope do you have? When your finances are are at the end and there's nothing left and you don't know how you're going to get by, you don't know how to make ends meet, and you've put all your hope in money, what hope do you have? When the person that you love and you gave your heart to, and all of a sudden they let you know it's over, we're through. I don't love you anymore. Where's hope there? Embrace the peace in your life that comes from an intimate relationship with the God who made you. And this doesn't mean that those things will not hurt. It doesn't mean that your life will be easy. It doesn't mean that you'll always be healthy. It doesn't mean that God's just going to give you an abundance and money will never become a problem. It doesn't mean that if you gave Mission View 20 bucks today, we're going to lay our hands on it, say some sort of prayer, and at 1017 tonight, you're going to get $20,000 because of your seed of faith. It doesn't mean any of that. What it means is that God is in in control. Embrace the peace that comes from an intimate relationship with the God who is in control and the God who made you. And the gateway to that is faith. It's faith. And some in your life will argue. They will argue that, well, your faith is is merely a crutch. It's merely a crutch to help you get through life. And my reply to that is, you're right. It is. Because life sucks sometimes. And we all, we all have times that we need help. You want to call it a crutch? Fine. It's a crutch. Because I know I can't do it on my own. If you aren't a Christ follower and you're here today, I want you to know we're so glad that you're here. We we love the fact that you're here. We love the fact that you're on a spiritual journey. And I just want you to know this. If, If you aren't a Christ follower, I want you to know it's impossible for you to have that peace because you don't have an intimate relationship with God. And the reason that you don't have an intimate relationship with God is because Hebrews 11.6 says it's impossible for you to please God apart from faith. That's just the truth. I'm glad you're here. I'm glad you're on a journey, but I just want you to know what the truth is. If you aren't a Christ follower, it's impossible for you to arrive at this peace because you don't know Christ. And apart from faith, it's impossible for you to have a relationship with God. It's impossible for you to please God. So you might as well just quit trying. Because nothing you do is going to earn God's favor. The only way that's possible is through a relationship with His Son.
And it's by grace that we're saved through faith. And it's that faith that is our shield. Embrace the peace in your life that comes from an intimate relationship with the God who made you. And take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. The helmet of salvation. I mean, it's no, it's no mistake. The helmet which protects the head, because so much of what happens in our salvation is a battle of the mind. And even after we've become children of God, it's a battle of the mind between the security that we have of the Spirit of God living and alive and at work inside of us and the evil forces outside of us. And it's a battle of the mind. And so in your battle, understand God's role in your salvation. And we walk through this in Ephesians chapter 1. The Father chose you. The Son paid the price for you, and the Spirit comes and He seals you, guaranteeing that you are saved. And so when you are going through those times and you question, God, do you still love me? I've failed you. I've fallen. I've sinned. God, am I still okay? God, am I saved? Know that salvation did not begin with you. Know it began with God. And it is a work of God, not of ourselves. And being a work of God, the Father chose you, the Son gave His life for you, and the Spirit seals you, guaranteeing that you are his child. Understand God's role in your salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. Get engaged in Scripture. Hunger for it. Make it a priority. Before you can put Scripture into practice, you have to know it. But merely knowing Scripture is not enough. You have to put it into practice. James 1.22 tells us that. It says, don't deceive yourselves. Don't merely listen to God's Word. Actually put it into practice. Do what it says. But before you can do what it says, you have to know what it says. Get engaged with Scripture. Praying at all times in the Spirit, with all prayer and supplication. To that end, keep alert with all perseverance, making supplication for all saints, and also for me, that words may be given to me in opening my mouth, boldly to proclaim the mystery of the gospel, for which I am an ambassador in chains, that I may declare it boldly as I ought to speak. Pray. Pray at all times. Pray. Pray at all times. For one another, for yourself, for God's calling on your life, what He's called you to do, for your ministry. Pray. 
First Thessalonians says, pray, with, pray without ceasing. Now, this doesn't mean that you have to become a monk, and it doesn't mean that you just have to chant and, and go on and on and on with, with long prayers. And, and some people are wired that way, and God bless them. There are some people who like to pray for hours on end, and that's awesome. I applaud you. Listen, that's not me. That's not how God designed my mind. It's not how God designed me personally. It's just not. Ten minutes in, and, and I'm okay. I mean, yeah, I'm good. I, no matter how much I try to channel my mind, that's about it. Now, God's wired other people differently, and, and that's good. But don't, don't misunderstand. Don't think that praying without ceasing is some sort of thing where you just have to continually pray, and if you take any breaks, that you're doing it wrong. No, it's just an attitude of your life that in all things you pray, in all circumstances, that in every situation you pray. In the same way that, that I just text my wife sometimes throughout the day to let her know something that happened that I found hilarious or something that was troubling or just to check in on how she and Ethan are doing, throughout the day I love to communicate with my wife. That's the attitude we need to have with God. We need to pray without ceasing, and that's what it means. Pray at all times. Pray at all times. This will help us stand in the battle that we're fighting. And yet, there's an interesting force at play in the world, one we also don't see, one that happens in this world that's, that's everywhere. We don't see it, but it's there. It's gravity. We're all familiar with it. And it pulls things down. It pulls everything down, much like the world in which we live. Much like the spiritual battle that we're engaged in. It pulls us down. We understand this natural law of gravity. Some understand it in much more detail than others. But we all, we all are impacted by it. We all see it play out. And yet I've always been fascinated by something. In spite of gravity, there are forces that seem more powerful. See, helium is seven times denser than air. And so helium floats. And it defies gravity as long as the helium is present in these balloons they won't fall. Helium counteracts the gravity. The Spirit of God counteracts the pull of our enemy, the pull of this world. And it helps us to fight that which is constantly trying to pull us down. Are you able to rise above this natural pull? Are you able to stand? Speak the truth in love. Guard your heart. It's the wellspring. Always be ready to share what Christ has done. Embrace the peace in your life that comes from an intimate relationship 
with the God who made you. Understand God's role in your salvation. Know and put into practice Scripture and pray. Put on the armor of God that you may stand, that you may defy the pull of this world, and that you will be victorious because of God's strength. God, I pray that you'd help us. I pray, God, that we would put on your armor, that we would be people with attitudes of truthfulness, that we would guard our hearts. God, that we would always be ready to share what you've done in our lives, that we, God, would just embrace the peace that comes from knowing you, from the relationship that we have with you. God, that we would just rejoice in the fact that our salvation is not our own, it's yours. God, that we would read your word. We'd have a passion for it. And God, that we would pray in all circumstances. Give us strength to fight against the enemy against the forces we don't see, against the world in which we live that so desperately wants to pull us down. Give us strength to stand as you have called us to do and to stand firm. In your Son, Jesus' name we pray.